Welcome back everyone to a new episode of Dive into Science with 15 by 4 Munich. We are a science communication nonprofit organization and we will bring you some fun, interesting interviews with scientists. My name is Ennis and I'm here with my co-host Antonis. Hi Ennis. And our guest today is Vlad. Uh, hello and welcome. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Happy to have you here. So actually, fun fact, uh, Vlad and I studied together and we studied biochemistry and cell biology at Jakobs University in Bremen. The, this is a, like our mini reunion today. So Vlad, tell me what have you been up to since then? So what did you study for your master's and what are you currently doing now? Yeah, uh, nice to see you again. Um, well, um, after, after uh, uni, I did a master's in neuroscience in, uh, at the University of Bordeaux. Um, and in my first year, I focused more on, uh, on a project on the endocannabinoid system, which is a neurotransmitter system uh, in the brain. And uh, then in my second year, I went more into uh, computational neuroscience and um, did a bit of research concerning human imagination. Um, and now I've been working at the Mind Foundation for the past year. And uh, the Mind Foundation is a nonprofit organization based in Berlin. Uh, that does psychedelic drug research and education, also community building, um, and also just generally helping the, the scientific community in the field develop. Great. I think I'm already jealous that you work first in Berlin and second for an organization called MIND. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, uh, yeah, we, will, we want to ask you more about this, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Or maybe, maybe we can start actually with this. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about the organization, what you do in more detail. Sure. Um, yeah, so, so in general, this is our goal to, to promote psychedelic research and education. Um, and we do that directly either by um, helping uh, build studies uh, with, the, with these substances or around these substances. But also we do a lot of community building and we have a blog where we communicate the latest advances in the field we also provide the platform for people to, to share um, their surveys, for example, if they do this kind of research. Um, and yeah, generally, we aim to, as a, as a kind of bigger picture, we aim to uh, create a healthier, more connected world through, through psychedelic research and education. Can you maybe, before we ask more questions, can you maybe uh, mm-hmm. give us a sort of definition or maybe just an explanation of what psychedelics are? Sure. Um, well, when we say psychedelics, we generally refer to uh, serotonergic hallucinogens, as they were called previously. Uh, it's basically a class of compounds that acts on the serotonin system in the brain, which is a neurotransmitter system. Um, and they elicit specific subjective effects, uh, which maybe people are familiar with from, uh, from the psychedelic art of the 60s. So very colorful imagery, but also very intense and profound transformations of the perception and sense of self and uh, just, um, yeah, a perception of the world in general. Uh, so these substances, you probably have heard of LSD, uh, psilocybin, which is a compound in magic mushrooms, um, or also very interesting ones are, are DMT, um, which is found in a number of different uh, plants and also secreted in minute amounts inside the human brain, but we don't know exactly the function of that yet. Um, and many, many other psychedelics of different uh, um, kind of, yeah, different effects on, on, on the brain itself. 
Um, so after studying neuroscience, um, then you went to work for the Mind Foundation. What was your motivation mm -hmm. in, um, in doing this kind of work? Yeah, um, actually, it's the same motivation that got me into neuroscience in the first place. Um, I was personally very interested in consciousness um, and especially of those who, who are into this uh, kind of thing, the hard problem of consciousness. So the, the question of how, how the subjective experience arises and this question of qualia and how, how are they created uh, from, from a non-sentient um, kind of network. Um, and I discovered uh, psychedelics from, from a book um, of Aldous Huxley, it was it was called the, the Doors of Perception. You might have heard of it, and um, there he explains this this mescaline experience. And I just had the impression that these substances could um, could help us understand more about consciousness itself, due to how profoundly they alter it. Um, and I was very interested in this kind of work, and that's why I decided to follow neuroscience. But uh, of course, because of their legal status at that point, it was pretty hard for me to find any any labs that uh, that do this kind of work so yeah um, I was kind of studying around the subject but never really got into it until I finished uh, my master's and then I got this opportunity to work at mine in terms of uh, legal use of these uh, substances how is it now then if it wasn't so easy in the past, yeah. is it better? Yeah, well, it's a little bit better because uh, some uh, some states in the U.S. are, are decriminalizing, uh, for example, psilocybin, which is found in magic mushrooms. I think it's um, on on the way towards legalization, if not already legalized in some states. There's discussion about decriminalizing in, uh, in general uh, in, in Europe, I believe, as well. Uh, but most importantly for research, I think the stigma surrounding the, these substances um, has uh, dissipated a bit since uh, since the 60s when when they were uh, this is the 70s when they were completely uh, banned. So for researchers now it's a little bit easier to to get approvals to work with these substances, whereas before uh, people didn't even have maybe the courage to start this kind of work because of how it would reflect upon their careers. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. So now I'm thinking, what are some of the most popular diseases that uh, you can use psychedelics as a treatment? And what are some that maybe are unexpected that most people haven't heard of? Mm -hmm. um, well, so in the 60s, uh, when basically there was this boom in psychedelic research, um, a few years after LSD was discovered by Albert Hoffman, they were basically trying uh, LSD to, to treat a vast array of different uh, disorders, um, starting from, from depression to anxiety to some of some dis disorders that we don't even consider disorders nowadays. Um, and from those preliminary studies, it became apparent that uh, they were the most effective in treating uh, depression and substance use disorders, especially with a focus on, on alcohol and, and nicotine. So nowadays that, that research was pretty much continued uh, forward and uh, most, let's see, popular uses for, for psilocybin uh, nowadays are in the treatment of, of depression, uh, and very importantly, treatment resistant depression. So uh, this is a form of depression um, which some patients um, have. It means that they've tried several different uh, courses of antidepressants and they didn't work for them. 
Um, and very interestingly, psilocybin has shown promise in treating this kind of resistant depression. And of course, uh, nowadays, after this uh, psychedelic renaissance, um, it's it's been proposed for a lot of different things. Again, um, I, there's a um, kind of renowned study where it has, it's been tried for OCD with some promising results. Um, it's been tried for anxiety. One surprising thing for me was um, eating disorders, um, but also um, there are trials for things like cluster headaches. Um, even for Alzheimer's, uh, there's uh, some some trials in at I think Johns Hopkins, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, there's a, a whole uh, you know a lot of different possible uses for for psychedelics but so far the most promising are our treatment of depression and um yeah anxiety okay, i was i was actually really surprised when you mentioned eating disorders and cluster headaches mm. but yep. yeah it's it's actually quite interesting that we we might have these options in the future the the more sure. options we have uh, the more people we can help yeah that's true definitely and I guess uh, everything will be far focused on extreme cases at the beginning. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we might even use some small uh, amounts of the compounds to treat even like um, <clears throat> patients that don't have so severe symptoms, I guess, eventually. Um, mm -hmm. I want to ask, so first there was, you said, this renaissance period of having a lot of different compounds. Uh, yeah. Uh, and as we can see, it took many, many years, and we are still probably not sure if these compounds can be used efficiently uh, for treating different disorders. Do you think it's still something promising? Uh, do you think we still need maybe to find different uh, psychedelics, discover new ones, or mm -hmm. we can still work on the old ones that we have at hand? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's, it's very promising, hence my, my work here. And um, I think, yeah, there's still a lot more to, to find out about classic psychedelics. Um, and um, thankfully, there's way more research now being done. And there's studies with, uh, with many more patients with bigger sample sizes. Um, we are um, collaborating with, um, with uh, Charité, which is a hospital here, and the Central Institute of Mannheim to, um, to develop and execute a study with the 144 patients with the treatment-resistant depression, um, and um, they will use psilocybin in this in the study. And there's also at the same time a lot of different private companies that are coming into the field, and they're looking to develop better, better uh, psychedelics. Um, sometimes this would mean perhaps that last less or have more directed action, or maybe have a less uh, propensity towards let's say challenging experiences but in the end you don't know you, you don't know if these are actually improvements uh, to to the to the experience itself because it's such a such a complex thing in itself you don't know exactly uh, which parts of it are are the useful ones and which aren't so there needs to be even more uh, research in that area but i think so far it's pretty promising and especially uh, since um, um, there was this, this study that came out uh, in April this year uh, from Robin Carhar Harris from Imperial College London, I believe, and uh, they compared psilocybin with escitalopram, which is one of the most common uh, antidepressants used so far. 
And they found that psilocybin, like two doses of, uh, of psilocybin-assisted therapy, are at least as efficient as this uh, most common antidepressant. So, so, so this is a very, very big and, and promising uh, finding in the field. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to, to discover building mm -hmm. upon this. And with regards to that, can you maybe tell us a bit more about how the uh, mechanisms of psychedelics uh, and antidepressants compare? Mm -hmm. uh, but I have a small request, uh, not too technical. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if, possible. I'll try. <laughs> if possible. I'll try my best, yeah. Um, well, first of all, it's still uh, pretty much a mystery, but uh, we're trying <laughs> to... Uh, we're trying to first of all understand what's going on um, in the brain while on these uh, serotonergic uh, psychedelics. There's a lot more fundamental fundamental research going on, and well, it's most likely that it has to do with a specific serotonin receptor, namely the serotonin two A receptor. And there's some ties um, from that receptor to neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to rearrange itself um, structurally and functionally to adapt to, to new situations. And uh, for example, in depression, it's said that uh, depression, dep sorry, depressed patients um, have a reduced ability to, um, to employ this kind of neuroplasticity inside their brains. So uh, psychedelics might help restore that lost ability to, to form new connections and also uh, from a more subjective or psychological perspective, kind of take a step back from their own lives and see a, a bigger picture, maybe um, get out of this ruminating state of mind and see uh, their situation in a new light. Uh, and how this compares to, 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 let's say, traditional antidepressants, well, they both work on the serotonin system. Traditional antidepressants just work by increasing the, the amount of serotonin that is released uh, in, in the synapse. And this could have a, um, a role of more, more of like passive coping, as, as it's been said, more of uh, giving the patients an ability to, to withstand um, um, the difficult situation they're in. But there still needs to to be research on this topic. Yeah, based on what you what you told us, the way I see it now is that the more classical antidepressants focus on reversing the symptoms that we see mm -hmm. on a patient, and uh, these new psychedelic substances focus more on reversing the actual cause. Yeah. But uh, I guess for many for many mental health disorders, we still don't know exactly what is the cause, right? Exactly, exactly. But that's exactly what the, what a lot of patients say that undergo this kind of therapy. They feel like the root cause has been addressed, whereas their previous antidepressant therapy was just merely kind of like a taking a um, analgesic for a toothache. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! Yeah. Uh, in this case, do you also try to use psychedelics for understanding more the cause of these diseases? Uh, disorders, I guess it's a better term, mm -hmm. um, or just uh, you focus on the actual use as a treatment? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I personally, I'm um, very interested in kind of the uh, fundamental research uh, that can be done with, with psychedelics. And I think, as you said, they might shed some light on, on the etiology of, of some of these uh, disorders. Um, I already feel like um, psychedelic renaissance has given a kind of new light to, to uh, how we understand depression because there was uh, this uh, 
really popular therapy, uh, sorry, the theory last century that it's caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain and it can be solved by, by restoring serotonin levels. But uh, psychedelics and also atypical psychedelics like ketamine um, make it clear that it's more than this and it has something to do with the circuitry um, of the brain and how it, how it you know, gives rise to these uh, mood disorders and possibly goes beyond the circuits and the neurotransmitters, um, which is quite remarkable. And yeah, I think psychedelics have a good uh, shot at giving us more lights into that and also uh, maybe more fundamental things like how consciousness arises in the brain. After all, it's all about chemicals in our brain, right? Yeah, that's what they say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So, okay, what I'm, what I'm getting from our conversation um, is that we are realizing uh, as, as yeah, years go by that psychedelics are uh, more than we thought they could be. Um, so how important do you think it is then to communicate um, these new discoveries, the latest research and um, how we can better use them and kind of also remove the stigma that surrounds them? Yeah, exactly. As you lastly pointed, I think it's um, perhaps more important to communicate these, uh, these results in this context than other contexts because of this pre-existent stigma. And, and before um, uh, they could be accepted as um, um, maybe more widespread therapies for, for this kind of disorders, um, there needs to be some sort of public discourse surrounding them and you know a way of giving people information that is scientifically sound uh, and not based on either yeah super, super superstition or just association with the, with the word drugs, uh, which has a pretty bad connotation in general. Uh, so communicating this, these results as they are um, is a really important part um, in advancing uh, the field itself, I believe. And I think we, in general, as an audience, uh, mm-hmm. understand now more and more that uh, it's different to use one substance as a drug and it's different to use it as a medicine. Oh, oh yeah, of course, of right. course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, therapeutic use is definitely way different from uh, from recreational use at a party. Which might be also fine in some cases, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Depends <laughs> on how you use it. Yeah, yeah, I want to ask, I want to say at this point that uh, the best way to um, to do this is to use science communication, exactly. right? And address, uh, address to the public. Um, which way do you do it? How do you uh, reach the public, the audience, and, and how do you communicate this message? Mm-hmm. Um, well, at MIND, we, um, we use several different means of communication. One of them is our blog, um, where we get experts from, from the field, different subfields um, that either talk about the research or talk about things that uh, they think need to be addressed in the field. We also organized um, an international conference where, where all the psychedelic researchers could, uh, could come and present their work. Um, we also have a YouTube channel um, where we post um, webinars, um, sometimes short educational videos. And I think a really big part is, is actually us communicating with, with the people we know and our families and our friends and talk about our work openly. And um, I think 
um, that that is a big uh, big part in, in changing um, outdated views and uh, you know allowing science to to thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally from agree. Your ex- yeah. And from your experience, mm-hmm. do you see this change happening the last five, ten years, or I don't know? Um, I definitely. Uh, even even in my time at mine, which is relatively short, I've seen a big shift in um, in perspective, and uh, it's I can see it also in my uh, in my close um, close contacts, uh, friends, uh, family that. Um, even without me particularly talking about it, um, they are visibly informed and they read about these things because um, there's a lot uh, circulating online nowadays about, about psychedelics. And I see these attitudes change. And um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it didn't happen by itself. A lot of, a lot of people put, uh, put work in, in this because a lot of people in the field um, are strongly motivated and they, they do believe that uh, there's a lot of promise in these substances, regardless of, uh, of this long hiatus in, uh, in research. Yeah. We're making progress. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so on that note, actually, I want to, to uh, ask you some quick fire questions. Basically, you just answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Sure. Um, so favorite thing about your job? Uh, the people, um, by far, they're, yeah, it's, it's the best team I've ever worked with, and I'm very mm-hmm. glad to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Shout out to your team. Yes. <laughs> uh, a book you want to recommend to the people listening? Um, so if the people listening are particularly interested about psychedelics, I would say How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan because um, people say there's a pre-Poland and post-Poland era, because mm-hmm. when that book appeared, it was clear how the perspective changed on, on psychedelics. And around that time, you could say that the psychedelic renaissance really picked up. So yeah, if, if you're interested in that, it's really um, nicely written and uh, easily understandable. It's not technical at all. It's very, very nice. Nice. I see Anton is here is probably already on Amazon buying the book. That's something I do in every episode. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely I Google it. So I will think about it after we finish the recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last one is uh, if you could have an hour long lunch, or uh, dinner with anyone that are alive, who would it be? Oh, that's that's a that's a very good question. I think probably Sasha Shulgin. Um, uh, people who are in the field or know about psychedelics probably have heard his name. Um, he's he's a really amazing scientist. He's the one who discovered uh, most of the, the psychedelics we know, uh, most of the new psychedelics at least, and he um, wrote these two amazing volumes where he um, combines his personal experience and the chemistry of the, of the substances. And um, it's kind of this, this combination between uh, subjective experience and science that I, I really liked and just his story in general was uh, fascinating. Um, so yeah, I think he'd be definitely high on the list uh, for sure. Mm, that's a good answer. <laughs> um, Okay, I also want to ask, what is uh, a myth about this field that you would like to disprove, even though it's a very uh, like cliche question, but 
I can mm -hmm. not ask it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's an interesting question. I mean, there's definitely a lot of, of myths around uh, psychedelics. Some of them are even quite silly. Um, but I, I think usually one myth that I like to think about is that that um, is circulating, especially among the, the people who like psychedelics, is that, um, well, you take acid once or you take mushroom once and then you discovered yourself, you, you're an mm -hmm. enlightened person. Um, and I wish. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's really not that uh, it's not that straightforward. You might have uh, um, a psychedelic experience that really is meaningless to you as long as you don't have the right intention. Uh, if you're not in the right environment, there's a lot of different things that go into uh, an experience that can be transformative. So, yeah, basically, mushrooms won't uh, make you a transcendental being. I think, yeah, for for those who still believe that might be the case yeah just uh, proceed with caution <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was too <laughs> but uh yeah since we're reaching the end of the of the episode i will try to end like in a more positive note <laughs> <laughs> compared to what you just said um yeah and i keep in mind especially uh what you said based on your personal experience that things are changing mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the stigma is not uh, as big as it was before, at least. Uh, let's hope things will change in the past. I think what you do uh, as part of this organization is very important. And just a small step, but uh, it's getting bigger and bigger mm -hmm. to change a bit the world around us. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, for sure. I also feel uh, today was really informative and also really fun, uh, but it's always nice to learn about a new topic and uh, yeah to share that with others uh, so yeah thank you so much uh, Vlad for joining us today and for sharing your experience or your knowledge mm -hmm. and uh, I hope everyone listening uh, enjoyed it as well and I encourage you to share it with your friends uh, your family colleagues neighbors flatmates uh, everyone uh, so that we can all share the knowledge and uh, yeah, uh, Vlad, if you want to uh, share maybe your social media or the foundation's social media, you can. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, first of all, thanks a lot for having me. It was really a lot of fun and I like talking about thing these things a lot. And yeah, for, for the listeners who, who are interested in the topic um, and in the Mind Foundation, uh, you can visit our website, basically mind-foundation.org. And yeah. Um, happy, happy to be here again, and uh, yeah. Perfect. Thank you too. Yeah, thank you everyone. Uh, until next time, stay safe. Bye.